You're listening to Mod Pod, brought to you in association with the River Alehouse Greenwich, South East London Pub of the Year 2022. Hello, I'm Gavin Billiness and welcome to Mod Pod, the podcast from the team behind My Only Desire magazine, the surprisingly good Cholton Athletic fanzine. Joining me as always are Mod Maggers Will Dalton and Mr. Dave Lockwood. How are you doing, chaps? Very well, thank you, Gav. Very well. Yeah, rather good, thank you. Especially In- after last night. Bouncing after last night. What a great victory that was for the team. Two, two wins on the spin. Yeah, Mr. Pessimistic here had us down to lose that one <laughs> last night. I, so. think, I think we all did, didn't we? I, yeah. I've never been so pessimistic going into a game, really. Even after the Exeter game, which was obviously a great result, which we needed. Yeah, but yeah. it was, a, it, you know, it flattered us, that scoreline, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, it flattered. It, 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 I mean, from what I saw of that game, I think we were very lucky to, to get away with it there. Um, but last night, we played really, really well, I've got to say. We were good all round. I thought we played like a proper side as well in the sense that it wasn't all about, you know, you need 60, 70% possession with lots of kind of the ball very deep and then all talking about a kind of XG at the end of it, which is good. I'm not completely anti-stats and possession but we just like well organised, yeah. and when we were going forward, we were going forward with purpose. We were going forward quite in quite direct and quick way, and I like that. I think that's uh, I think they're good signs for a team that I don't know maybe has aspirations for top six. Maybe that's not as ridiculous as we might have thought it was a couple of weeks ago. So no, so enjoyable. Loved it last night. Good atmosphere as well. It's brilliant. You, you yeah. came up to the covered end. Didn't I was, you? Oh yeah, I was in the covered end. A rare appearance. I felt like proper Charlton, <laughs> Mr. West End upper, <laughs> <laughs> braving it, yeah. braving it with the Herberts I, in the I, covered I, end I, upper. I, for, for, for in my defence, I couldn't get there last night. We we had to to deal with something at home, so I couldn't get to the valley. Right, Dave. And <laughs> just to say that I watched it on Sky. And yes, like everybody else watching it on Sky, my God, that commentary was so biased towards Portsmouth. It was unbelievable. Was it really? Oh, you know, they were they were fawning over Portsmouth all the way through it. It was like, oh my God, they really want them to score here. And they could not let go of the um, uh, the, the tug from, uh, from uh, O'Connell. Yeah, it, yeah. Uh, from the tug. Where, where the player was clearly miles offside anyway. Um, but they would not let it go all through the evening on Sky. Well, it was a penalty, wasn't it? No, it wasn't because he was offside. Let it go. Yeah, it was hot in the mouth a bit, that wasn't it? Because it yeah. was a penalty. Oh, yeah. Whether it was offside or not, it was like, yeah. oh, God, here we go. No. But, but uh, can I also say, I. Yeah, you can. Don't, I, I'm going <laughs> to. Yeah. It's your pod, mate. Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't think O'Connell is as bad as everybody's nah, been saying. He's not. He's not done much wrong at nah. all, really. Nah. Yeah, he, yeah, he's getting quite a bit of criticism. And I thought he had a great game last night. And I thought he was solid against Exeter as well. Yeah, yeah. I, that's the Telton way, though, isn't it? You know, there's always a player that, that uh, Chelton fans tend to pick on. And whether it's O'Connell or it is, I don't know. I mean, Innis can, can be a little bit... Um, uh, sometimes he... he yeah. Yeah, you, that, that, that nod of your head there says exactly what it means. Ryan Innes is, is one of those players that's going to get sent off three or four times a season, isn't he? Yeah, uh, yeah, at least. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but also the way we're playing, which, you know, I like the way Garner's trying to get us pl- to play, um, but that does breed uh, mistakes at the back, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. When, you, when, you, when you're encouraging your sort of centre-halves to try and knock it around... I think that's why I think Garner's liked him from the beginning for that reason because he's he's he takes it off the keeper. He turns out in sticky spots and he's got like three already kind of pressing high. It's him and Innes and hopefully a couple of fullbacks. And I always think I know they're professional footballers, but I'm so glad it's not me. You know, you get that hospital <laughs> pass as a fullback, even in five aside, you get it deep and you're just like, 
where do I go with this? <laughs> but they're, they're trained just to be so calm with it. And O'Connell's a great example of that. He turns yeah. out, he's tidy on the ball, and he hasn't given a lot away in those moments. I'm just trying to think back. I don't think he has. No, exactly. He and his defending done. has been okay. I, don't, I think because we've been pretty poor at the back, or not brilliant at the back, He's been the constant, so you go, yeah, how good has he been? Yeah. But I think you're right. I think it's harsh to kind of like dig him out as a big problem and say he's been poor, because I don't think he has. No. And I'm, I'm glad he's kind of settling in at the moment um, and getting better. I think last night was, uh, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but probably the first time this season we've won convincingly. Mm. And we were out of sight. Mm. And Plymouth. Ex- ex- Plymouth, of mm. course. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was quite good. It's always, always tempered with the 10 men thing, wasn't no, it? No, no, you're absolutely right. Plymouth is another one. But but Exeter was like, as I said at the beginning, at, it could have ended 4-1 that game if it yeah. wasn't that soft. And that wouldn't have been a fair reflection of the game. I mean, for once we took our chances, which is great. Yeah. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I like a 4-1 win. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. But um, it was, you know, it, at 2-1... I was. I thought an equal, an Exeter equaliser was inevitable. Yeah, I thought I d- it's coming. It's coming. Oh, we're three one up. Yeah, I tweeted last night at half time. We need one more goal, don't we? And everybody's going. No, we need two. We need three. No, yeah, come yeah. on, Dave. We need three at least. You know, every the typical Charlton attitude of we're doing well here, but yeah, we don't trust ourselves. But the second half, okay, they came at us a little bit at the first bit of the second half, but. Um, you know, we rode that, and we had a little bit of luck as well with a, you know their their player that came on, then going off, and <sighs> I just think last night you're right, it was the complete result. It's probably the most most comfortablest we've looked, and against a, one of the teams that should be doing well yeah, in this yeah. league, exactly. And that's yeah. seven goals in two games, and what was the conversation a month ago is very much where are the goals coming from. Because yeah, Stockley still hasn't hit his stride, mm. but between them, they're kind of chipping in. And yeah, no complaints. It seems unusual for a Charlton side to be pinging four past X to one week and yeah. three the next week. That's yeah. not even in our successful years. Yeah, we haven't been free scoring, so no. good signs. No, yeah. Cor- and Corey had a great game last night. I think that's yeah, he really did. We've, we've, you know, we need to see that consistently now from him, week in, week out. You know, even, you know, against Col- you know, even if he plays against Colville in the FA Cup, we need to see that from him. We need to see him running and yeah. controlling the ball and. Yeah, you're right. And the end product thing yeah. more than anything, isn't it? Yeah. And I think with it's always the criticism and it's valid with Corey's. He goes past players for fun, but where's the end product? Often it is. It's, it's disappointing. He hasn't got a great shot on him. Mm. He's a bit profligate. Crosses often disappointing. But if he had a good end product, he doesn't play for Charlton. He's not in League One no. for Charlton. <laughs> no. Because yeah, he yeah. breezes past players for yeah. fun. Yeah. He's always an outlet. He's had some storming games for us, and I think you've got to just kind of accept part of the Corey package is that he might disappoint with that final ball and just get as much out of him as you can. And supposedly Garner is the type, and I think there's a bit of evidence we've seen so far, to improve, as you were saying earlier, yeah. kind of off-air, as it were, Dave, that he improves average players um, and he kind of makes good players even better. So, yeah, why can't he be coached to be kind of even better than he is now? I, I hope so with Corey. Yeah, yeah, and that was probably quite clever of Garner to... to call him out like he did a couple of weeks ago I mean he knew what he was doing there it gave him a bit yeah. of a rocket and I think I think it's I probably quite like that off. it was a slightly more considered rocket than the Bowyer rocket which, yeah. <laughs> which used to be very much you ain't pulling out of tackles in my team and then you like disappeared from like, Johnny Williams is kind of like just taken away by some <laughs> or like Madison and like it was it was brutal wasn't it apparently but, but he's called yeah. it he called it out with with Corey and he called it out with Kirk a few weeks ago as yeah. well it's like doesn't mm doesn't deserve a place in the squad for how he's been in training and, and on the pitch, but in a very fair way, and they both come back much better for it. So yeah. Yeah. He had yeah. a good game last night, Kirk. Yeah, yeah. Um, as did Fraser, of yeah. course. Fraser was, was superb in midfield last night as yeah. well. I, you know, 
I think it was right that Corey got man of the match for his performance. But again, you're looking at that little bit of the spine there. So maybe O'Connell, maybe Fraser, and maybe with Stockley as well. Stockley, Stockley was doing yeah. some great runs and some yeah, great yeah. flicks and, and everything like that. So, you know, maybe we haven't seen the best. I mean, obviously, we've got to talk about, you know, Miles and losing him. Yeah, for, that uh, is so Charlton, isn't it? It, it is, isn't it? And, and and especially ligament damage as well. I mean, fingers crossed that means he won't be going in the January transfer window. Thank God for that. So that may be done, as, but he can come back. You know, we've got him and, and at least Chucks is fit at the moment. So, you know, we've got that there with, with, with things. But we, well, yeah. we do lack up front. That's that's the one thing. And they did they did mention that on Sky last night. The Chelton fans weren't happy we didn't bring in another striker. Well, yeah, I think we all weren't happy that we didn't bring another striker. I think, I think people hear that. I think you can possibly put part of Miles' injury down to that because yeah. he's been overexposed for an 18-year-old. Yeah. I think Garner would like to manage him more gently, not yeah. give him too many starts, but give him those regular kind of 20-minute slots from the bench. And it's a lot less likely that a lad who's never been through the rigours of a, a full yeah. season of men's football like this is going to pick up an injury like that. So it all it's that kind of domino effect of just leaving yourself a little bit short in transfer windows. And I don't think anyone's here demanding that, you know, yeah. throws millions at the playing squad, but just leaving gaps as we've had up front a little bit at the back potentially as well means you're more likely to have situations like with Miles, who's now injured for, well, yeah. two months, yeah. which is a shame. Yeah, yeah. And, and and the gaffer made a really good point on Sky last night, Chris Powell. I will never call him anything else other than the gaffer. Um, he, um, he said, you know, he's got the build of a Peter Crouch. He can play football like, but he's still a lad. He's still an 18-year-old up against the 30-year-old. And, and he's showing a little bit more guile. And he's he's, he's you can see that... Things are rubbing off with him and yeah. he's understanding things more, but he's still an 18-year-old kid and we probably expect far too much from him. Yeah, I think we, we hope for it, don't we? Yeah, we, we kind do. of think, yeah, yeah, we know he's 18, but what if he's, what if he's you know, the next Rashford? Do you know what I mean? That was the first name that came to my head. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. But do you well. know what I mean? You know, you see other clubs with, you know... Yeah prodigies yeah why can't we have one but it happened quickly i don't feel like i remember say with like shelby the what probably two decades ago now it was kind of big <laughs> news from like 15 years old here he comes this boy's yeah. serious and we've had people like that even with that i think daniel carno we've felt like for a while we've all seen him absolutely banging in goals at youth level i think we're ready for him to make the step up joe joe gomez and joe gomez exactly joe gomez was was that. that player that we mm. you know we saw him in i mean terry terry smith would will say this we were doing the, he was doing the commentary at the Kent Senior Cup final and Charlton had put out their usual side, they put out a youth side and Gillingham had put all their senior players out. They'd gone against the, the, the you know, they, they'd basically said, no, we're, we're going to field a, a youth squad. No, they put their senior squad out. And Joe Gomez had their centre forward in his back pocket mm -hmm. that night at, what, 17 years old. And what a hell of a player. Yeah, he was absolutely mustard from day one, wasn't yeah. he? And I was going to yeah. say, I don't think Miles has come with that reputation. It's been a bit of a slow burner. I think we've been aware of him because of Tracy and yeah. Carl, obviously. Saying Tracy before Carl now, the new Lieber <laughs> legend. Um, and but yeah, Lieben sort of came from nowhere. He wasn't even starting, I don't think, every week at a kind of like um, under eighteen level, and he was kind of eased in. And now he's really found another gear in the last sort of six months, one year. So it's been fast with Miles. Well, I think everybody expected in pre-season uh, it'd be Carney to go, to, and everyone's a bit surprised, I think, when Lieben went on, went on that uh, went on the pre-season tour. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, but it's, it's good to see the lad there and. The one thing that, that Malt said in the, the first podcast was that his mum and dad will keep him balanced. Yeah, yeah. And we know that. We know Carl is the most balanced person and everything like that. So that's a really good thing. So um, thank God for that. 
Mm. Yeah, now going back to January, the one thing I just want to want to say is it's a, it's a bit of a worry of mine. It's like hypothetically, let's say we you know we win the next five games, we're up there, we're challenging, it's all come together, we're on for promotion, right? Yeah. Just bear with me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sure, then. How many of those beers you had? I've had sixteen. <laughs> okay. Um, no, come January. We get plundered. <laughs> someone comes in for Dobson. Someone comes in for Fraser. Is that uh, that's the kind of balance you you you've got to have? And it's it's such a cruel. It's not just us. It's every it's every sort of lower league team. If you if you overachieve or you do well, yeah, then it's the reality <laughs> of the level, isn't it? I know. It? Yeah. And but it's if you if you're well run, there's nothing you could do if someone comes in from the championship and wants to pay a million pounds for Dobson. But no. I don't think that will happen, especially in January. And if they're believing in a project and we've got some momentum behind us. You'd, you'd hope you'd fend off those sort of bids. If it's um, something for Lieber, like with Burstow a year ago, I think those ones are inevitable. Mm. For the first team seniors like Dobson, you, you hope you're kind of stronger and you can at least fend it off till the summer. Um, I don't, it doesn't feel like a worry for me, but you're a pessimist, Gav, and I know why you are, because you've <laughs> been supporting this effing club for three decades. So yeah. You can't not knows? be a yeah, club exactly. fan, can you? You can't not be. I mean, I... I Hope and pray that that we're able to bring a couple more bodies in in January. We've got to. Really. We've got to. It, We've it, got to bring. Serious about yeah. you know because I mean the, the complexion, the whole complexion of the season has changed with two wins on the spin. Yeah, and you know I know that's a bit nuts, but it does. You know, and and, and another two, dare I say it, and it's all looking great again. Yeah. So I mean, we've got Shrewsbury coming up at the weekend. Um, hopefully, the pod will be out before then. Um, you know, fingers crossed that we can carry that momentum on. E- at least a draw. Yeah. You know, I'll take a draw from Shrewsbury Town. Yeah. You know, need to get this elusive away win though, don't we? Showing some form at home, not yeah. doing it on the road. That'll be the next little kind of milestone, I guess, little turning point if we can produce something big on the road. But yeah, we're we're moving in the right direction. Those, those nice. two wins would do yeah. an awful lot for the confidence. And, and I was saying to you off air that that the the team spirit seems good. Mm. You know, they seem. A happy bunch. They seem to be playing for each other. And they were fighting like mad last yeah. night. Mm. Off the ball, you're kind of you're pressing and you're closing, you're harrying and jostling. They were absolutely unstoppable last night, which is a good sign in mm. terms of yeah, the morale kind of element, as you say. Yeah. It was. Um, we've got to talk about the um, uh, the elephant in the room, or the elephant not in the room. Where's Steve tonight? Ah, the the uh, the covered, poet, the covered end pamir. Yeah, he can't make it tonight. Uh, it's something to do with. Cats and charity. Ah, right. Okay. Uh, I don't fully know, but yeah, he, it's a shame because he is. Yeah. He does make up the foursome, as it were. But he'll be back. He will be. Well, in fact, he'll be back in just a moment's time because um, we'll be adding him in. Yeah, with the wonders of, of, of radio technology. technology. Yeah. Yeah. Here he comes. You're listening to Mod Pod, the podcast from the team behind Mod Mag, the surprisingly good Charlton Athletic fanzine. An ode to Sea Bay Fish Bar by Stephen J. Charnock. Battered sausage, pucker pie, it hurts your gun, we wonder why. Chicken nuggets, two spam fritters, your greasy absence gives us jitters. One large chips and a fish cake, what's happened here? God's made a mistake. You'd flog those chips to all and sundry, and now we're left to go hungry. We miss you, fish bar, name of sea bay. Do they sell saveloys on eBay? In this episode, we've got not one, but two special guests. 
two men who have played integral roles in the club's most successful periods. Both arrived at Charlton at different times and had different executive roles, but they were to go on to work closely together during the Premier League glory days, and they remain good friends. Uh, welcome to Mod Pod, Steve Sutherland and Peter Varney. Good evening. Hi, guys. Good evening. Uh, how are you doing, Jim? chaps? You right? Nice to be yeah, here. No, thanks good. for coming on. Um, so, we'll we're, talk about... We're good friends up until now. Depends what he tells, tells you about me. <laughs> so, we'll, to- we'll talk about the roles you both played at the club at an executive level, but let's start at the beginning. I'll ask you both this, but Peter, first, hmm. what was? how did you get the Charlton bug? How did you start... How, how, did you become a Charlton fan? Well, my dad was my dad was a big Charlton fan, so I had two elder brothers. So his his theory was that when you got to six years old, that was the time for you yeah. to come down to the valley. So he tried it with David and Michael, but it didn't work. They didn't like <laughs> football at all. So he brought me down February '60 uh, on my sixth birthday, and then from then, you know, I got the I got the bug. I used to be on the big terrace, big East Terrace, and in those days, all the kids went down the front on the railings. Uh, probably your audience won't remember that. But, um, it was, it was, you know, yeah, I've been, been there. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. But the kids passed down the front. Yeah, passed down the front, yeah, basically, yeah. Yeah, 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 on the big terrace. Yeah. And then obviously it went I remember into... the Sam Bartram entrance and the toilet was up there as well, which was literally a wall. Yeah, no, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And what sort of, who, who was playing at that sort of time, that period? Um, so you had sort of a lot of the South African contingent. Mm. You had Huey, Tocknell, Edwards... And obviously Keith, who's sort of a lifelong friend, Keith came into it, I think, 62. You're, I'm terrible on years, so don't trust me on years. 60, I think. He, he was, I think he was, he was 18, I think. I think he think made in, his debut when he was in 1960, yeah, I, think. But I think. I think he was in and out at the beginning. Yeah. But obviously Keith became a big friend, Mickey Bailey, Billy Bonds, people like that. <clears> um, and then obviously, you know, went from there. We all have our different heroes, don't we, in the different, yeah, different sure. eras. But... When, when you're sort of that young, it's sort of in time it all goes. I remember Eddie Fermani quite well, just I think because he, he became the manager. Of course. And yeah. he was a big, mm. he was sort of big hero. But my dad's sort of big hero was Stuart Leary. That was the one he didn't sort of stop talking about. But right. I came in at the end. Okay. I came in at the end of that. And how about you, Steve? Same age, six. It must have been the thing, wasn't it? You you get taken to the valley when you're six and um Child i was royalty. yeah and i was on the east, east ter- i was on the east terrace as well and um it was my dad and my two two older cousins and we used to go together and be on the east terrace there and uh so my first season would have been the 62 season uh, six, yeah 62 because i was a couple of years younger i think so um got go that in not he um <laughs> But yeah, same sort of players because it was all that time. So it was it was the South African t- contingent. It was Huey and my hero was Fermani. And when he came back to the club, I was uh, my dad used to keep a scrapbook which I've still got, which you you lot probably get your hands on in the museum at some point. <laughs> but he used to keep the scrapbook. And there's a big section on Fermani coming back, and and uh, he was a a class act, class act. And I remember there was a game. Um, when it was billed as Fermani against John Charles, and it was Charlton Cardiff, and the two big players who played in Italy as well, yeah. and um, yeah, I, th- I think we won five-two or something like that. But, uh, but yeah, the valley was packed, so just you get the bug then, don't you? you That's really it. Do, yeah. Dice cast. You're a Charlton fan. Yeah, and uh, used to go every week with my dad and my cousins. Did you go away games at all? 
Not at that time, no. Millwall, but right. a couple of times. I have no idea why, because it was like going to Starlag 13. <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot of people in those days. They, they, they went, went to Charlton. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah you're right. It seems yeah. mad now, but it's yeah. kind of, wasn't it? No, you're yeah. right. But Coldblow Lane was a terrible stadium. Oh, God, yeah, it was like that. Funny, because I'm... We're, we're kind of seasoned in terms of the trips to the new den, which isn't great, but my dad will always say, Cold Blow Lane. I mean, even just saying the name, you kind of yeah. know what you're getting, and oh, I can yeah. imagine yeah, it was. Like, yeah. well, you see, West. in those days, people like Harry Cripps, Barry Kitchen, all that, you could tackle, you could just go through people. You can't do that now. And nobody, I, no ref ever seemed to... I don't think you'd to, call it tackling, really. No, no ref seemed to ever pull it up or whatever, no. but no, it was different in those Mill times. always seemed to have a good side as well. You know, they had our former player, Gordon Bolland, I remember. Uh, and he wasn't as good for us as he became for Millwall. And they were always rivalries at that time, weren't they? But, yeah, we never uh, beat them in those no. days. That was a problem, yeah. <laughs> well, not that I can remember. Carried on. <laughs> it did. Yeah. So, Peter, you were and are a successful businessman, but what does the path from Charlton fan to Charlton... I mean, we're fast-forwarding quite a bit now, but mm. what's the path look like from Charlton fan to Charlton executive? How does that happen? Yes, it was sort of quite weird the way it all came about. I mean, in um, when when we when I knew we were coming back to the valley, um, Steve actually was sort of set set up a testimonial committee for Lenny Lawrence. Right. Now, Lenny was one of those people. For the first time, we'd had an array of managers that I didn't relate to as a fan at all. But suddenly, you had this guy Lenny Lawrence who talked sense. You know, when he bought a player, they were they they added something to the team. Mm-hmm. And so I dropped, I knew Southers before that, but I dropped Southers a line and said, look, what I'd like to do is I'm quite happy to organise Lenny's testimonial dinner. So they put it to Lenny's committee. Which which was Bob Bevan, Chris Parks, I think, me, uh, Lenny. Right. And then we met at Bob Bevan's is offices. Bob the Cat Bevan? Bob the Cat Big yeah. friend of Lenny, right. massive okay. friend of Lenny. So I wrote this letter in which he told me to do. I was then dismissed as the local nutcase. <laughs> because it was like, he'll, he'll never be able to... What, what experience has he got of putting I remember the, the meeting vividly. It was, yeah. who is he? I said, well, he's a child fan. I've known him a long time. And he will, he will organise this. I'm telling you, he will organise this. So then Lenny was... Lenny didn't think it would happen. Um, well, the funny thing was, I then came here to the valley um, and I, I basically I thought naively at that time I thought look what I'll do I'll organize it I thought I could get 500 fans there and I'll give the money to the club so I came down to the club to see Steve Dixon um, and Roger Orwin because I was at the football league at that point yeah you were there weren't you so I came down to meet them so what year is this this would be in 1991, yeah. Okay. And said, look, I'd like to, I'd like to do this. No, it must um, be 92. No, it was 92. Sorry, yeah, of course it was. Um, so I'd like to do this. Um, and they said, how many people do you think you get? And I said, 500. And they went, you won't get 500 to a dinner. Um, you know, we'd be happy with that for a game. <laughs> so I was like, right, okay. So you don't, you don't want, if I did do it, you don't want any money. Now, in those days when you're younger, you think, right, Sodom. You know, I will go yeah. and do this. Now, as it happened, long story short, I didn't invite anybody because I thought, well, you don't want to come, you don't think it can happen. As it happened, we got 700 people attending. But go maximum... back a little bit, just go back on, on that. It was for the Len- Lenny Lawrence testimonial, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, and then Right, Lenny, we yeah. had the meeting on, let's say we had the meeting on the Monday. On the Thursday, I get a phone call at home, and it's Lenny in his car. And he said, uh, Steve... Um, there won't be any more testimonial committees. So I said, why is that, Len? I thought he went quite well. Why is, why is that? He said, well, I'm on the way to join Middlesbrough. Oh, right. <laughs> and he was in his car going up to sign for them. 
Wow. And so I said to Pete, well, it's not going to be a testimonial committee. And then Yeah, so I thought about it and I thought, you know what then, if it's not going to be that, I'll do it as a back to the valley dinner. Right. So I was, it was only me organising it, effectively. The club didn't want it. Um, so I spoke to the guys at the supporters club and said, look, I'll roughly work out, you know, it will raise a minimum 30, maybe 40. Do you want, I'll give you the money. Um, and so that's what happened. Um, I organised it under the auspices of the supporters club. We got the 700 people, which was the maximum. Bloomsbury Crest, there. wasn't it? Bloomsbury Crest, yeah. Um, and and the, and they got the money. And then obviously from there, I was doing it each year. But what happened was, two things happened really. First of all, Steve Grit, his daughter got a brain tumour. Yeah. And the way this all happened for me was that I'd come to the end. My job was to privatise the five national sports centres. So under the Thatcher government, they basically wanted to raise money against them, put them out to private contract. That came to an end, and I got offered a job um, doing the similar thing with doping uh, in Australia. It was, it was going to be largely in Australia to, to actually assess how they did it, how we could do it here. Um, and I didn't want to do that. So Steve introduced me to this uh, surgeon, Peter Hamlin, and he was setting up a charity. Right. So he was so inspirational. He's still one of the most inspirational mm people I'd met, I said to him, well, look, I don't mind coming in and helping out. And then, of course, we did we did these Haley Grit Research Fund activities. Raised under a lot of money as well, didn't we? So we raised about 130 grand. Mm. So what happened was, I think the club were looking at all this right. and it's, saying that, like well, why aren't we doing this? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so then what happened, winding forward, was I got asked to come in for a chat. I met Richard Murray and Greg Bone. Uh, we talked about the role, which was commercial director, wasn't running the club, um, and um, I turned it down. Right. So I, I thought, I'm quite happy where I am. It's my hobby, Charlton. I don't really want to mm. give up my hobby. Um, so I didn't, I didn't take the job. They said they were then going to go to a wider audience, um, and then they came back after a couple of months and said, you know, would you sort of reconsider? And then started to think, well, I regret this. Whatever, so accepted the job as commercial director, attended a meeting on the Thursday before the Monday I was due to start, and as he'll tell you, in true style, I started picking holes in the way <laughs> in the way this meeting was going because they weren't actually talking sense as I saw it. So I, I sort of I got quite animated about certain things they were going to commit money to, and then Richard phoned me that night and said, "Look, I'm stepping down as managing director." All oh, right, okay, so. Are you advertising or who's coming in? He went, no, I'd like you to do it. Right. So I haven't started, as, <laughs> I haven't started right. as commercial director yet. Um, and then so on the Monday, I came in as the man, as the sort of man in charge. And then, you know, obviously, th this, this was the challenge of Charlton at the time. As a fan, my passion was rebuilding the valley. Right. I'd sat in all of that neglect and dilapidation and all the rest of it. So I had in my mind... Well, that, I was going to ask you, when, when you arrived, did you set yourself goals and did you have a vision? But you, you obviously yeah, yeah no, I did. I came in. I, well, Steve, Steve helped me a lot because what he did was he, he, he organised for me to go to uh, Leicester City for a month because I hadn't been in football before. Yeah, I was still so, at the Football League. At that so you were at the Football League, weren't you? So I went up to Barry Pierpont, um, who was the CEO there. So I spent almost a month up there. Why, but, why I did that, just on that, so you know, Barry Pierpont was, was a complete breath of fresh air in terms of how to run football clubs commercially. Because we're talking about the late 90s. It, it, commercialism was still really based on lottery sellers. 
you know, they, the the, the um, experienced commercial people who had experience in other in other areas of commercialism, they weren't really too many numbers at, at football clubs like that. In comes Barry Pierpoint, and suddenly brought commercialism and marketing and entertainment all together. Mm. And he was succeeding so well at Leicester, he was pulling up tree stumps. And when Pete was phoned me at the Football League and said he's got this offer to do this, I said, you go, go and see Barry. Go and see Barry. Go and spend a day with Barry. He'll be, he'll be delighted to open the doors to you. And um, I'm still in touch with Barry. He's, yeah, he's, no, he's back involved. Yeah. But no, it was, it was great. And uh, Martin, a little bit with Martin O'Neill, just understanding what they were doing on the football side. Yeah. So I came back with a business plan. Um, and the main thrust of it was that, again, this is a fan's perspective, but you sort of sit on the sidelines and you think, we, we, we get a player and we develop a young player and then we sell them. So we don't actually get the benefit. We keep going through this cycle, we're selling. So one of the first things I was told on the Monday was that we'd had an offer for Sean Newton of 1.2 million from Chris Wright at QPR and they were going to accept the offer. But we'd actually set up uh, Charlton on the AIM market so, but we never used it to raise money. So right. there we were as a, as, a, as a club that was listed, but we weren't actually, we set up a PLC, but we weren't actually using the money. So part of the, of the vision, if you like, was why don't we reverse this trend? Rather than keep selling our best players, why don't we go out to the market? I know you haven't got the money yourselves, but let's go out onto the market, raise the money, invest in it, and see whether we can turn this round. I think at that time we had... It, from memory, we had about two and a half thousand season ticket holders, right. so it was quite a low. It was quite this a low. This is about ninety seven, is it? Ninety seven, and the right. ground was not. You know, the ground was very temporary still yeah, from sure. when mm -hmm. we'd gone back. So th the passion was we could do that. We could then hopefully make a challenge. We'd get bigger gates. We could invest in the stadium, and then of course we did do that. We turned down the offer. They also wanted curbs at that time as well. What, QPR? Uh, QPR, yeah. Is that right? So, you know, that was rejected as well. And then, obviously, Alan got got the money. Alan then brought the players in, and I think you know the rest. We went on mm. this run well, yeah. of 13, 14 games unbeaten. Well, I was going to ask you, at, at that time, how connected were you to what went on on the pitch? Obviously, quite connected. You know, it's quite hands-on, presumably. Well, I already knew, because of what I'd done with Steve Grit, I already knew... Um, Curbs and, and Gritty. Mm -hmm. I probably shouldn't say this, Alan will probably kill me, but it was Alan <laughs> who actually rang me and said, you're going to get a phone call. They're going to offer you a job, but you didn't hear it from me. Right. Sorry, Curbs. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then that was, so I knew it, I sort of was, 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 you know, planned for it in advance almost what the, you know, what the call was going to be. But I think, I think from Alan's point of view, suddenly there was a vision. Yeah. You know, there was suddenly like, no, we're not going to do that. And we are going to... Because he probably would have thought, what am I staying here for? Yeah. I just sell my best players. Mm. Suddenly there was money, not huge amounts. He was then able to reshape the squad. You know, that went on that unbelievable run. We had the thing with Sasha turning up at the gates and saying, how about a trial? Um, then Real royal aerobic <laughs> stuff. <there laughs> yeah. It's just amazing. But do you think being a fan before almost helped you make those right decisions? Because I guess a businessman coming in with no real affiliation to the club is going to hear 1.2 million for Sean Newton... The, the size of our club at that point, you snap that hand off, don't you? And you take the money. Do you think yeah. the fact that you had a bit of a fan perspective and thought, he's such an important winger for us, you've got that kind of in your head, he might be a bit of a favourite player, and then you can also have a bit more of the kind of football sense of it. Do you think that helped marrying fan and businessmen together to kind of make the right calls? 100%, because 
I think it, I think if people had come from the outside, I'm not sure how important the ground would have been. Yeah. For me, that was my passion. Mm. He'll tell you that my passion was, you know, we we need to build build the ground. Uh, yeah, I don't want to mess with Gav's kind of history an, timeline here. I think here, there's but a flip side to that coin, though. When I worked for Swindon Town, not having any emotional baggage helped because yeah. I had to make some really tough decisions. Change hadn't happened there for years. Can you go into Swindon so still? I'm allowed back. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm out of counselling now. For, um, I think the fans are as well. <laughs> but not having that emo- emotional baggage... Of you can't. Oh, well, it's always been done this way. So yeah. I think there's a flip side to to what. That's true. But I guess a football brain at least. Like if yeah, you're yeah. Not a Swindon definitely. fan being a yeah. football man. The important thing so. is, I swatted up on on Swindon. So you know, I knew their favourite players and I knew the journeys they've been on. So, mm. but uh, yeah, I mean, that, being a fan and having a business role at the club. Yeah. I mean, the hours the team worked were phenomenal because we were rebuilding the stadium oh, yeah. at the same time. You know, <clears throat> I, I was mainly seven, seven till nine. I was sort of first one in, first one out. But it, and because of that, you have a passion. You know, I, I was, I was desperate to see the whole image of the club change, and you can't change it when it's a collection of cow sheds. Yeah. That's the reality. Yeah. Players come and go, but the stadium, in a sense, defines you. Yeah. And that's that. That was you know that was like right right up there in getting that in getting that done. Mm. But we listen. There's an element of luck. Obviously, Alan Alan did a fantastic job. Yeah. Um, and suddenly we're in the playoff final. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know the rest with that it was like quite. Fit. See, I I had a different perspective on that day because uh, again, if you go into it as a fan, that was a fantastic day. A lot of fans will say to you, it's the best day of my sort of chart and life. For me. I was going, that's 60 million. No, no it's not. We've lost it again. And then it came back again. Yeah. Um, because I knew if we could get up, that would just change the club. That'd be you know, the valley rebuilt. That it? would be the start of start us of then it. putting yeah. money yeah. into it. Yeah. So there was an added an added thing, dimension to it. Would it have meant the breakup of that squad in 97? If, if, if we'd lost the playoff final, would it have meant we'd have had to sell Mendonca and... It would have well, been tougher to keep them, wasn't it? Be- yeah, it's not. It wasn't so much that we had to get rid of them. It was more that once you've had a taste of a bit of success, and Clive scored probably the greatest hat trick yeah. that's been scored at Wembley. Uh, all respect to Jeff Hurst, mm-hmm. but I, I, I don't know whether the players, you know, there, somebody would have come in for him, wouldn't they? Yeah. But suddenly he's got a chance to play in the Premier League yeah. as the others did. I think the thing. <clears throat> I don't know whether you get away with it now because of social media, but. For those of you who were around at the time, the message to the fans was very much, we will not break the bank to stay in the Premier League. Mm. We will go up and we will come back stronger because we had the one eye on the stadium yeah. and everything else. So we'll go up and we'll come back stronger. Um, and if, you know, trust us on that, and obviously it went to the last day, we did go down, but I'd always argue that that decision... You know, we then we then obviously strengthened the team again. I think it was Powell and Kylie were the Kylie was the, the big main one, wasn't two. It? Kylie and then everyone stayed, big. of course. Like you can mm. sell yeah. it. Yeah. Nobody, they all, the team. They stayed all stayed. Yeah. We won the championship. Yeah. I think there's another reason why they stayed, which is to do with the way the way we approached trying to build a a sort of a family that we were all in this together. Um, which I, I I can't tell you how important that is. That that underpinned everything that was going on. I mean, there was some. Not sure what stories I can and can't tell, but I know, 
I know, I can remember on the night of the playoff final, marrying Sasha and his girlfriend about four o'clock in the morning. Because <laughs> there was a Bible next to the bed. I don't quite know how all this, I don't quite know how all of this happened. But, um, and then my son decided, they got into my son and they said that, you, you, can you put the, the champagne, could you consign, can you sign your dad's signature? And Jay's like, yeah, I can sign it. He said, put it on Curb's room. So then they all got champagne. I think God knows how many bottles it was. So I go down it. I go down in the morning because Curbs had rang me and said you need need to come down. And there was this unbelievable bill for like thousands that they said I didn't put this on my room. And of course it was it was my eldest. So um, a bit egged on by the players. But that creating that sort of atmosphere around the squad, which is where it all started, carried on through the Premier right. League years. Right. And I can't. I can't explain to you how important that was. They ran the extra mile because of that. And so did you feel like you were mates with the players almost? Because I'd always imagine a bit of a disconnect between the playing squad and the boardroom, but was there a bit of a relationship that ran right the The way through? The important thing, which is a factor of the way Peter used to run the club, the important thing is there was this camaraderie, this bond. You know, there's a friendship that still goes now, isn't there? You know, and we had it at Sellers Park. You know, all the Sellers Park players are the match day hosts here today, yeah. here now. We had that camaraderie, that it, yeah. and and it, it was definitely in play when um, when we were in the Premier League. I wouldn't want to undermine. There was two bits to it. There was the serious bit. We all worked really hard. Yeah. And there was about growing the club, and and being passionate about that. But I learnt very early on that if you could get the players, Curbs had this philosophy that. He felt that if something happened to a player and he got to know about it or he had to deal with it, that it would affect his team selection. So we sat down very early on and he sort of said, anything where they got issues, we'll pass to you. I don't want to know about it. Now, that he did, because particularly <laughs> if it was tasty in some way, he wanted to know, he wanted to know all the full details. But um, it, that was the theory. They could, come and, they could come and see you. And, of course, it, it bore out of that. What that led to was... There was a series of, of, I used to write these letters. God knows how they didn't plug into it. I think Dave would know. I mean, one, just to give you an example, we, we went to Huddersfield. Um, I think we won 2-0. John Robinson scored an unbelievable goal. Remember, yeah. Ran to the away end, lifted his shirt, and it had feeler. Oh, yeah. Well, we were with Joma. So, so I, I, I got involved. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'd come back to the club at this point, but, um, but I got involved then. So we collaborated, and I did a, a, um, a memo in those days. No email. No, was such it was a typed email. It was a, type, a memo, a memo um, complaining in real strong terms that this is putting the uh, link with Joma at risk. You know, and we can't have this indiscipline on the team. It's me who has to carry the can with the sponsors, and you need to sort this out. So I did this straight up and down memo to Peter saying. You know, I don't, I, I don't want to have to apologise to Joma anymore. We, get hold of Robinson. And so, so armed wrote, with yeah. that, you, you did your own yeah, letter I wrote, to, I wrote to John and I said that, you know, the, the, <laughs> the, the sponsors are threatening to pull out, which they weren't, of course. Um, and therefore, we've discussed it as a board and we're fining you £5,000 for, for showing the feeler thing. So he then came in the following morning, went straight up to Curves, kicked the door open. I want to transfer. He said, I've got, I've got this letter. He said, I've shown it to the missus and she said, you can't stay there. So whatever. So I went out. Mervyn's now gone to the cupboard 
So Mervyn shaking in the cover because they're all in on it. They were always in on it because I didn't want I didn't want them to think it was. He is like the blue touch paper, Robo. Yeah, he really is. So he then went downstairs, and of course the players all burst out laughing because. But so that became like a little bit of a thing every so often. But I couldn't believe they fell for it. Every single time I do these things. Even Brownie fell for it, didn't he? He said that in the last podcast. Yeah, he didn't yeah. mention it. Yeah, yeah. Well, but the thing is, they were done so so collaboratively in such a way that is this is this right? Is it? Yeah, yeah. Clive yeah. from the museum's looking at you, thinking, "Have you got that letter? Because we could put display yeah. down." Yeah, no, no, I've probably still got. I've probably still got them somewhere. And then um, we we decided that it would probably be a good idea to have like a bit of a mid-season break because it was all very intense. Just get them relaxed. So they trained hard, but then so I used to put on quizzes and stuff like that. So this particular night, it got a little bit. Um, Obviously, the humour got out of control slightly. So a few of them disappeared out of the thing, and I thought they were having an early night. So I go back to my room. I open the door. There was no bed, no wardrobe, <laughs> nothing, no clothes. Everything everything in the room had gone. And then, so I went down to... Uh, Curbs was in a couple of doors away from me. I said, Curbs, look. So he came in, he looked at it all, and he went, I'm tired. So that was Curbs gone to bed. So it took me about two hours to find where they put it. When we went down to breakfast, I just walked in looking angry, trying to look angry. And you could tell the guilty ones were straight, <laughs> head down. Who would have been who the ringleaders have been and someone like oh, that? Oh, the ringleaders were Bradley, Alan, um, Mike, Mike Salmon, um, Stuart Balmer. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like, it was, but the thing about it was, I don't want it to sound like it was un, unprofessional. Sounds it like Pontins at yeah, the moment. It, like, it wasn't like that. It was like uh, I can't. Nobody wanted to leave this club. No. Yeah. Because because of the fact they created that that atmosphere about it. And the, the the thing that is quite touching when I wasn't well a couple of years ago was that I I got all these messages. Some of them were like Curb sent me one of a a JCB in my garden, so it wasn't in my garden, but in a garden, saying that he'd, he'd, he'd got this guy in with a JCB to try and find the Parker money. <laughs> he, he always had this thing that he couldn't actually, he couldn't actually spend the Parker money. But the, I got all messages like that, people in their gardens. It was really quite touching. But what it, what it was, it was a testimony to, we work hard, we train hard, but also there was like... Everyone a, came to work with a smile on their face. Yeah. It was tough. Together. Yeah, it was tough. Yeah. Is that rare, do you think, at football clubs? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. So Charlton were a oh, bit yeah. of an anomaly in that sense. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, it, it definitely. When you talked around, they were like, oh, no, we don't see the chief exec or oh, no. yeah. Whatever, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I went up there one day. You, I had a meeting. I had a board meeting, I think, in the afternoon. So I went up there in a suit and I said something witty to Herman. And he picked me up and put me in, the, you know, these big bins where they kept the ice. There was yeah, a yeah. thing where you, you, you know, you, you actually um, like sort of warm. Bin. Yeah, it was a wheelie bin. He put me in the wheelie bin. Yeah. I was absolutely frozen. Well, there was ice in it. Yeah, yeah I had no change of clothes or whatever. It's like, but Herman was very strange because his wife used to come and pick him up. He, he was used, very strange. He used, he used to wrestle with her in the, in yeah. the, in the main building. Yeah. So, <laughs> They went on a wrestling match. They were like, <laughs> "You're getting quite a strange picture yeah, here, aren't you?" Yeah. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I had that writer said they'd been a bit like that. Yeah, yeah, no, it was yeah. no great bloke though. Yeah, but I, as I say, I don't want to create the wrong impression because it was really about about they they really believed they were in like a it was like a family. It was like that. So if they had any problems at all, they would yeah. come and have and no, they they no as you can see with Cholton TV. 
Yeah. They're all happy to come back. Yeah. They all love coming back here. Yeah. You know, and that all stems from those days. You know, and before that, the Sellers Park days. They all love coming back. Yeah, I think that's why chance. I mean, last last year's game against Lincoln, um, it was like a Sellers Park reunion. You had Shirtliff, yeah. Thompson was here for Lincoln uh, Radio. You had Boulder, Mortimer, Bennett, John Humphrey was there. John Humphrey, yeah. well, you were in the lounge. Yeah. I mean, it was just an incredible experience. Uh, yeah. And there's that cam- immediately there's that camaraderie again, mm. and. It, it, yeah, isn't every club that has that? And, you know, and I worked for the football league for ten years, and going to all the clubs. Yeah, you know, and you can walk in, and you you can feel an atmosphere when you walk in. You know, a happy ship as soon as you walk in. Yeah. Um, and you know one that isn't happy. What did Brownie say out of interest? Then you <laughs> mentioned Brownie. Have a listen. I'll tell you what Brownie said. He asked me to ask you about a hundred meters race with Les Reed. Oh God, that yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was um, one of those things that got out of hand slightly. Um, one of my styles of <laughs> trying to do things was that I would say, if we were all together, I would just say, you know, I, I don't know about you guys, but I look at the coaching staff and they don't look fit enough to me. So it'd be like that. And then Les bit. So Les was like, well, do you want to prove that? I said, yeah, what, you want to race or something? <laughs> so he said, yeah, I, um, yeah, I will. I will race you. So I said, okay, well, you pick the distance. So Les said 100 metres. So all the players get together. So, of course, I then say, look, if we, everybody goes this side, we put a fiver in each charity. All go that side if you think I'll win, and all go that side if you think Les will win. Only Brownie went on my side. Because, but that was a little bit of a you know, slap down for me, if you like. <laughs> anyway, what they didn't know was I was quite a decent sprinter in school. <laughs> so um, I got, I think we got to about 80 metres and I was on Les's shoulder and then I just came out and went past him and Les fell over. <laughs> so actually Brownie cleaned up, which is why he's actually asked you, why he's asked you to do that. Um, and then what happened, we went on tour to Scandinavia and then the boys were all saying, you've got to race Curbs, but Curbs is not a sprinter. Curbs is more of a long distance man. Sure. So the deal was that we would do 800 metres. And then, would you believe it, I'm training like mad. <laughs> and I, I, I pulled my hamstring. Oof. Right. So was it? would it have been Jimmy in those days? Jimmy Hendry, probably. Jimmy Hendry. Yeah. So Jimmy had this thing where, I don't know what you call it, but he wired you up. It was a heat thing. And he said, look, if you lay, lay flat, and I put this heat thing on, and he said, you might be able to, it might just relax it whatever, whatever, and I thought, after about after about five minutes, I thought, this is like, I feel like I'm on fire, <laughs> and whatever, and what happened was, because I was laying flat, Klaus Jensen had come in, this is what Jimmy told me, put it on full, <laughs> put it on full power, and I was thinking, oh, I'm just a wimp, I don't know, anyway, it didn't, it didn't yeah. happen, because I just couldn't, every time I tried to run, the I couldn't do it, burns. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> But you've got to pay tribute to Curbs because a lot of people sort of said to me that in those days, Curbs took his job so seriously and he's meticulous at planning tactics. I know from having a son there that on the Friday, the youth team would have to match up to the away side and Curbs would do this like meticulously. So, you know, he would come home and say, I had to be Harry Kuehl today (laughs) and I had to do certain things. And Curbs was meticulous in his, in, his, in his planning. But the thing, the other side the fans didn't see about him was he encouraged this, he encouraged this sort of humour and whatever. And he'd always, he'd always say to players, I don't know anything about it. 
but he did. <laughs> he knew he knew what was going on. But it was an important part of what Curbs did because I think if you speak to players now, which you probably do, you know more than I would do, they'd all say to you from that era that you know that they they respect him mm. and that you know they 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 sort of have never had at such a good time as the time that they <clears throat> they spent here, whatever club right. they went to. I think you'd find that as quite a fairly fairly standard response. So during Curbs's time, how many offers came in for Curbs? I think he was close. He was close on the the Liverpool job. Um, when Julio got it. Yeah, so he was close on that one. I think they went for Julio's contacts. Right. Whatever. And there was a bit of a thing. It was starting to happen, and it is there still now, isn't it? That you know, foreign is best. Mm. Don't go for English coaches. Mm. You know, you've got to have an os on the end or something, and then you'll be <laughs> you'll be a top coach. Um, but I mean, he was he was. Uh, you know, he's he's the greatest manager this club's ever had in my in my opinion. Absolutely. Um, and you saw that in the team. I don't know, people now. You watch the old Sky programs, and I think you start to realise what a good yeah what a good side we well, have. Well, you've only got to watch Charlton TV. You yeah. know, when they flashbacks and they don't go down memory lane. Yeah. You know, and the players that we had here and the players we were playing against and. Yeah, no, I mean, the crowd were amazing. Great side. I mean, oh. in the games, yeah, God, the, yeah, the yeah. noise from the crowd. What oh. was it? What was it like being CEO of a club in the Premier League? In those, you know, back in the early two thousands, you've got you know Manchester United being huge at that time and oh. whatever. What was it like being in amongst those as people? Well, first of all, the challenge was different for us because they already had grounds, so the big pressure after it was trying to balance. As a fan, you want the best players. You want us to keep spending the money, but on the other hand, this was a one-off opportunity to to get the ground right. So that was a different pressure. So when people talk about you know operating losses or whatever, the fact is that that was unique for Charm. We were trying to build a team, but we were trying to stay in the Premier League and trying to build the build the stadium. So it was a pressure. But when you go to those grounds, um, you know it's it's quite. It's quite something. I mean, I, I can remember a few. I can remember going over to Highbury, if you remember the old 4-2. Um, oh, yeah. 4-2 oh, <laughs> win. And it was run by the Hillwoods. And she, she had a manner about her, Mrs Hillwood. She'd yeah. be like, would you, would you like a salmon and cucumber sandwich? Because <laughs> that's about the only thing you're going to enjoy today. It was almost a bit like that. Yeah, was, yeah. <laughs> oh, did you really? get that a lot, like sort of that banter? Yeah, you did, oh, you did we were, in those days. Really? We yeah, were, yeah, because we were Charlton, yeah, yeah, it was a little bit like that. So, and then of course we went four one up in an hour. <clears throat> yeah. But how but, do you? Do, but in your position, how do you enjoy that moment? Because if we're in the way end, we're just going like mad and we're giving ears to the Arsenal fans. If you can't do that necessarily to your counterpart in the boardroom, or can you give some stick? You can in a different way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I always, um, I always thought because Curbs, Curbs sat next to me. He always used to go sideways. And that was because I was always on the move. I was like, I was like a fan, really. I don't think that ever changed if we scored. You'd you know, be I'd celebrating. Yeah, I'd be celebrating, yeah, yeah. Crazy. And obviously there's some goals that are like, you know, better than others, aren't they? Mm. Um, so as a fan and CEO, did you ever have to pinch yourself? I think this is, you know, this is the best of both worlds or not? Or, or did you not think like that? I think we were always... We're too busy, I think. Yeah, I think there was sure. so, so much going on. I mean, there's things we used to you know, patron schemes and God knows what else to sort of raise the money to make sure this this link between the stadium and the, the team carried on. That's the North Stand patrons. Yeah, North Stand patrons. Talk, talk us through that. What was that scheme? all? Well, we, we decided... What had happened was, the truth of it was, that I went to a board meeting and I said, we've got to do the North. 
and they said to me, okay, well, on these numbers that we're looking at now, we're two million short. So if you can raise two million, we'll, uh, we'll build it. So we knocked our heads together and there were two things going on. One was, could we get a college into the North Stand because that way we'd get a grant from the EU. And number two, could we come up with a scheme where people committed a, a reasonable sum for the wealthier fans, 25,000, could we get 40 of them? And that's the other million. Right. So that's what we set about doing. So him and I had 300 lunches. Oh, in about, crikey. We, we had, we had <laughs> you three like courses. You three. by the time you came <laughs> I've out. I've never lost it. Ever yeah. since. We had, <laughs> Couldn't we sing had, like him, though. We, <laughs> no, no. We came up with this, with this scheme where we just schmooze our moneyed fans, basically. That's basically it. Um, and we invited them to three course lunches every day to, be, to hear a story about our plans for the future, you know. It was in the, all the lounges have changed now. It was a ballroom in our days, but it became the Keith Peacock Lounge or whatever it's called now. Um, and we had, we had the trophies all out and everything. And, um, yeah, we invited about 10 each day, didn't we? Yeah. For nearly three weeks. Three, you try eating a three-course lunch every day. <laughs> I thought it was the same food and, as well. And, <laughs> and keep saying the same things and cracking the same jokes and, and <laughs> showing the same vision and... Um, but at the end of that, he walked away with a million pound, didn't we? Yeah, we got it. But I'll tell you the strange thing about it was that I'd spent hours like with him sort of looking at it and thinking, <clears throat> how do we, we've got to tell them what we've done. We're going to put the trophies on the table and then we've got to tell them where we can take this club. And what I found out after that the first few days, I rehearsed it and rehearsed it and rehearsed it so I didn't have to look at anything. It would come out. So I, because I was a fan, I think, I was like, right, this is this is where we are, this is where we're gonna to go to. And the very first one we had, this guy to my right started crying, mm. didn't he? I hadn't even mm. said what the packages were. <laughs> yeah. He started uh, crying and said, put me down for two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, hadn't said what the I hadn't said what the package yeah. was. And he, he went on to help us in other ways, other ways later on, but we were talking to the flowers and all sorts of ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous things just to make it light and like you were buying into, yeah, yeah. you can make this happen. You know, without you, I can't get yeah. board approval. How are you getting people emotional talking about the kind of Selhurst days? And return yeah, the whole lot, where we come no, from. Just yeah. the return, the back, to, which is quite apt, the back, coming back to the Valley and the struggle for that and, and what we've achieved and how the club's kicked on since then. Uh, and, it, and really, the only thing holding us back now is the facilities and we need to build the North Stand. And we had a good relationship with Greenwich Community College, didn't we? Huh. Um, and this is pre CACT, pre-Charlton Athletic Community Trust. Um, so we knew we could get, if we based the college there, we could get the fund, grant funding to, actually it was the first club ever, I think, to have a college on site. Um, so during just the, under a million pounds. During the day, they, they occupied the North Stand right. um, uh, and had offices there as well. We got it back on match days. And the other million pound, we sold the dream. We sold the vision. And... You've parked your cars right by the, the names of the guys downstairs. Yeah, yeah. And people do you, walk do you know past what? them. We've, we've all got this sort of bit of yeah. pomposity in yeah. us, haven't we? But I couldn't help it. I went to the board meeting. They didn't know. I hadn't said a word. And I, I wanted to go in and just say, now, if we look at the minutes last meeting, you'd said that I needed to go away and raise two million. You know, up yours sort of thing. I'd raise two million. Um, but I said it. So we got to the point, and I said, we've, you know, Steve and I've done these patrons thing. We've got now an offer letter from the EU, 
over the grant. So you are, you said that if I got the two million, we could do it. So I said, so I'm pleased to tell you all today, and 17 directors, pleased to tell you all today that I have got the two million. And and um, Richard Collins, who's been a previous <coughs> chairman, he said, Roger, have you taken all of the EDAM? <laughs> and I thought, <laughs> 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 so it was a killer because it was like yeah. I wanted the sort of you know well 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 done well done. Um, you can happens. only imagine what it was like giving a report to seventeen directors. Oh, oh that was yeah. precious. Just, yeah. just unreal, especially with some of those characters. That yeah, we, we had, had some characters. Yeah, we yeah, had some characters. Yeah, no, it was. But, it was. Uh, they were. They, yeah. Listen, but they were all. What I'd say for them is all passionate fans. Oh God, yeah. All put mm, their money yeah, where yeah. their mouth was, and without them. You know, the valley, the valley I, wouldn't I, have been rebuilt. I came back in 2000, and we were in the port cabins outside, weren't we? Mm. And, um, uh, you know, the, the old North Stand carcass was still there, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and it was all about rebuilding the club, rebuild, rebuilding the valley. Um, it was an exciting time. But yeah, those we've gone porter into porter cabins. cabins. Like they put us I in just felt my career was it. constantly in a porter cabin. Right? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Come from the porter states. cabin at Sellers. Well, you don't do porter cabins. Where you shut really, the door and you, you have to hold on to everything in there. <laughs> and, uh, and talking about holding on to everything. Oh, well, God, yeah. We were having a meeting in his office. And I, I got up out of the seat. <laughs> just walked to the door. Just continuing the chat while I was going out, basically. And I could see this post office van reversing and reversing and reversing. And we both looked out the window and it hit the porter cabin. <laughs> and the shelf, the cupboards that I'd just been sitting in front of, you went like this down. Now the driver that I'd paid was supposed, was supposed to have done that two minutes earlier. But he delayed. He dislodged the porter cabin, didn't he? Dislodged it. Nigel Cadlin in the next room never even no, came out to find out if I was no, alive no, still. No. Anyway, that's another thing. It's story. funny, it went quite quickly from kind of porter cabins and that kind of stuff to kind of like pre-season tours in China yeah. and kind of link-ups with Inter Milan and uh, even like the Crimbagiri side. And we were doing and that from remote offices in Bexley Heath. Yeah, how does it all marry up? Because we did feel like we were going places and we're a very progressive club. Was it, was it easy to make happen? Or yeah, there were a lot. When, you, when you're constantly revisiting the vision of what you want to do, there was a, a lot of talk at the Premier League meetings, which were monthly, about uh, international supporters and how that you didn't want to deter them from coming in. So we started to think, actually, you know, we, we've got all these foreign players, you know, particularly from Scandinavia, why don't we make an effort? So we tied up with clubs. From that, you've got the supporters groups. And I don't know if you remember, but in the in the sort of uh, northwest quadrant, we used to give them all the tickets. They're Dutch, Swedish, Finnish. Do you remember the whatever. band? The band that came. Yeah, the band, band came from Holland. Yeah, Schipilts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we Maipa Forty Seven in Finland, all that. Yeah. So then we started doing tours. That's where Alice, Alice, <laughs> it's Alice comes from. They yeah. were playing there, weren't they? Yeah. <laughs> and then so we we built we built that side of it up. We were getting about three hundred a game coming, and you had all the flags, didn't you? Yeah. So it sort of gave it. It gave it a flavour to that mm. area of the ground, which I think was quite important. Mm. And the next stage was that I can remember going to, a, I can remember talking to Keith predominantly about the fact that the one thing missing is we don't have a player that in the playgrounds they go, we've got. So, you know, because of the stars and the way they're created, even more so now, you couldn't go into a playground and they go, oh, Charlton have got Kishishev, yeah. where it wasn't big yeah, enough. Yeah. And of course, so what they'd call a marquee signing. Yeah, a marquee yeah. signing, and that's what led to, you know, that's led, what led to Di Canio. 
Uh, that was the thinking behind Di Canio, that even if he, if he was coming in and out, he was such a big name. And of course, the, the most popular, yeah. it became the most popular shirt in the shop, you know, when people had the letters. <clears throat> yeah, put on the and back. he was a great influence around the club as well, because oh, he brought a, a lot of professionalism. What an individual. And a way to look after yourself. And He used to come in, awesome he, would, he would train on his own at 8.30 for an hour, over on the old AstroTurf at the training ground. Then he'd come in, he'd have a couple of bits of toast, then he'd go out and train with the first team, and then he'd have lunch, and then he'd train the the youth team, like the strikers, in the afternoon. Unbelievable yeah. character. Wow. Yeah. He, he's so... The only thing was, he used to... He used to grab you and, like, kiss you on the lips. <laughs> he thought, look, Paolo, I don't think... You know, we need to talk, Paolo. I like you, but... Yeah. Yeah. So he didn't come in with any kind of um, Palo de Canio? Kind no, of quite, no, quite no, the opposite, no. no, no. no. The, the image of him no. is very much like yeah. this, you know, firebrand on the touchline or whatever. He wasn't like but that. Very keen on mentoring, wasn't he? he was oh, very yeah, keen on mentoring yeah. the younger players. Well, Curbs tells a story about how he, he helped him um, get the other players to go in the ice bath. Yeah, no, he but that, was, he, that well, basically he was his idea, really. Yeah, yeah. That's where it came it from. Was, yeah, because mm. he was used to doing that. Yeah, you know, in, in his, he, he felt that that's warmer in Italy, though. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Were there any other marquee signings that perhaps didn't quite happen that we tried for? Ramadan. Yeah, we did. I tell you, the one that was which was slightly caused by the financing of the ground, we 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 wanted to sign Goodmanson and Jensen from Bolton. But the, Adiga Johnson, yeah. Yeah, the, 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 the combined fee was eight and a half. And unfortunately, we had to go back to Curbs and say, you can have one, right. but you can't have both. But I think, had that have been possible, mm. yeah. Yeah. That, would have been a, that would have been a massive, because he was a great player. Yeah, yeah. He was a great player, wasn't he? And Did then he went off to Chelsea after that, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. 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 We had, um, what was the, the um, oh God, he went to Arsenal in the end. We Flamini. were very close to yeah, we were very yeah. close to signing him. Oh, Matthew um, Flamini. Yeah. No, Matthew. Flamini. Yeah, Flamini. Was it, was it, yeah, it was. Was it? Yeah, we, we yeah. met him in the box. That's it. We'd agreed yeah. eight thousand a week. Yeah, and he was yeah ready to sign. Yeah. Um. So we get the get Parksy to get all the paperwork done, and then the phone rang, and it was it was Wenger telling him to come over. So that was yeah. Um, we got quite close on Diara, who then went on to be a. Curbs had a great. Curbs must have watched Darren Bent eleven times at least, and he used to come back and say they're playing him on the wing. But you know what? Just his pace and everything, I could see him up front for us. Mm. But I just want to make sure because this is a big signing. It's yeah. going to be two and a half million, whatever, whatever. And he was convinced that Darren would be the goal scorer to play up front. You know the rest. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. We moved early that summer, didn't we? I think we got him in yeah. at the start we got of him summer. In quick. Was, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we did. Yeah, we, we had a habit of doing things like that, though. Quick. I mean, Mendonca, yeah, we wanted to get, yeah. Mendonca coming in in the May of '97, wasn't it? Yeah, just after the season had finished, and I remember. I was driving over to see the Broncos play over at the Stoop and, and it was on the radio every hour Capital were going Charlton have signed Clive Mendonca and I'm thinking this is a hell of a sign yeah, yeah. well it, it later on I'm jumping but later on if you look at the mess the club was in in 2010 when they were going into administration effectively if we hadn't got new owners yeah that that decision to go and get the you know the 23 players immediately sort of thing yeah was we had eight on the first day we yeah. had eight signings on the first day, the window opened. So the pre-planning of it all was yeah. was really, really important yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, going back to Premier League days, and um, there were some games that were infamous, the one being Stamford Beach. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what happened that day when, when you got to, to Stamford Bridge and 
was like that. Well, it you, was obvious that it you was, tried to get it called off. Yeah, it was the sub. It was the the the, the sub um, level of sand. And what they decided to do was to try and play. They all had the right boots on. Yeah. And everything else. We turned out. We had no knowledge of this. There was no grass on it at all. Anyway, I got involved, and um, Mike Dean, Mike Dean was the match official, and Mike Dean had called it off about quarter to one. And then he started to get pressure from, you know, the police, who were obviously Chelsea's police. Yeah. Uh, and, and that there were problems outside the ground and they were worried if it didn't go ahead and all this sort of thing. So he then reversed that decision um, and it was played. But anybody who was there that day knew it was a farce. No, it was a disgrace, really, wasn't it? Yeah, it, should never, it wasn't a proper pitch. No. No. So you contacted me that following week. Aye. Get that record on. Play that record. What was the reaction? Was there any reaction from um, from Chelsea, from anybody like that? Because we were taking the mickey out of them the next game. What was we, the record? Green, green, green grass, grass of home. home yeah. yeah. No, I did. I remember that call. Yeah. Yeah, that's the naughty side of me, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, we had more of a reaction to him when it was it was his wife's birthday. Right. Um, and I don't know if you remember, but Lisby scored in the eighty fifth minute. And we won one nil. Yeah. Um, I'd have to be careful with the language at this point. Not my language, it was his language. But the cake didn't come in. The cake went flying. Right. And he just stormed off because the last thing he wanted was the birthday ruined, um, you know, by by losing the game. And, of course, because it was Charlton, the truth was they all thought, you know, that, oh, that, that, should, be, that should be home, yeah. 300 yeah. points. Yeah. But we yeah. had a great record. We did. Apart from Manchester United who were obviously in the ascendancy in those days, we had a tremendous yeah. record at, with all the other top clubs. Yeah, yeah. big scalps, didn't we? Yeah, I mean, Liverpool here. Yeah. yeah. You know, the Man United Liverpool one that there. was good was 3 all. Yeah. Liverpool yeah. up there. Yeah. 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 Chelsea we beat quite regularly. Tottenham. Yeah, yeah. Tottenham we mm. beat regularly. Arsenal yeah. we beat. Yeah. And we kind of took that for granted. That actually did come up with Brownie. He said there probably wasn't, there weren't enough moments where everyone kind of sat back and thought, we just won at Highbury, we just won at Anfield. And maybe the fans are kind of the same, took a bit for granted. And we look back now, we think, crikey, like, it's just yeah, never I, again. I, but I think that's inevitable, fans take for granted. You know, you're enjoying the moment, aren't you? You know, and you're turning over these teams and, yeah, it, you do take it for granted. We had good players, I'm telling but you. But we had a good, we we had had a good, good team. We had a good squad. Yeah. And real committed players. That's what I'm saying. I think you saw it here last night. That's not dated the tape. But you saw it. You saw You're it in the game the against. Game, yeah, yeah you, you saw it in the Portsmouth game. For me, just speaking as a fan, that's the first time this season I have seen a hundred percent effort. Everyone at by it. everybody on yeah. the pitch. Everybody at it. Yeah. No more of players running thirty yards and firing them into the corners. You know, they were absolutely behind the ball. The defensive work was amazing last night. And if they can keep that up, yeah. And and I always used to say that in the Premier days. You know, if you look at the top sides, if you look at the Liverpools, the Man Cities, Barcelona, Real Madrid, the one thing they've got is a work ethic as well as the fact yeah. they've got ability. Yeah. Yeah. If you haven't got that work ethic, you can be mm. the best players in the world, but you're not going to win games. Yeah. And that, that, I think, showed in the Portsmouth. How hands-on were you with... You obviously hands-on with player recruitment, because, uh, but, but did you chat to Curbs about the, the tactics side of things? I mean, I'm not suggesting you interfered, but did you have conversations with him about it or? Um, what, what Alan was very good at, I used to go down a very short period of time before the game and then, and then after. Um, so that, that was sort of um, the time when you'd pick things up because the opposition manager would come in for a drink. Mm. 
um, whatever, and you sort of would pick up things there, like the opposition manager would say, you know, you did me on the way that you set up this or set up that. But to that extent, no, he was like, um, you know, all I, I knew more from my son because on the Friday they did the setup. Right. Okay. So on the Friday night, I sort of knew. Yeah. But we never, we never sort of, never re really got onto tactics. But obviously, when, if we were at away games and we went for a meal, um, which we didn't always do, but if we went for a meal on that on the Friday night, then obviously you can't shut them up because they're football people. So yeah, yeah. Keith, <laughs> Keith, Mervin, and Curves will be going through it. You know everything. As a fan, that must be great, mustn't it, to have a glimpse into that side of yeah, things? Yeah, yeah, and of course we had such a good relationship as well. Um, you know, we used to sort of, which is weird really, isn't it, when you think of it, when I think back, you know, we the, the, we went with the two wives on holiday, we go, we go to places for a week and stuff like that, um, because we were sort of mates as well as much as we were, you know, we were working together, and we still are, to be fair. I, um, it, there was a guy who won an auction prize um, about uh, what was it? About three weeks ago, and the the prize was a lunch with David Gold. Right. And the the fella rang me up and he said, "I, I hope you won't take this the wrong way." He said, "But I'm not a West Ham fan." So I said, "Right, who, who do you support?" He said, "Well, I'm a big Charlton fan." <laughs> so I said, "So would you rather I took David Gold out of it? He can do it another time then, and you would you like to come with Alan Kirbishley?" So anyway, it transpired that Alan Kirbishley and Brownie, it was supposed to be Scott Minto, but Brownie came in as a sub, which he was quite used to doing, <laughs> used to doing in his career. <coughs> so um, we, went, we, went to, uh, we went to the coach house and um, the following, it was a great, I mean, Kerbs was fantastic. It was, it was lunch that started at 12.30 and ended at 7 o'clock. But Kerbs actually texted me the following day and said, that, um, did the guy enjoy it? So I went back and I said, yeah, he... He said he loved meeting a Charlton legend, and Alan was good as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, postscript to that is, I went to the coach house the week after with my wife and Enzo in there, who we know very well. Um, the coach house has played a big role yeah, in Charlton signings yeah, over yeah. the years, and he said um, uh, Peter was in here with um, um, Dean Kiley's understudy, and I said, <laughs> Dean Kiley's understudy. Who was that? Describe him, and big guy. And I said, I really, honestly. So I phoned him <laughs> afterwards and said, Who are you in there with? And he said, Steve Brown. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. But he did play golf. <laughs> Brownie yeah, did yeah, play golf. Yeah. It's true. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Soppy devil. Ding kind. <laughs> well, listen, chaps. Thanks so much. It's been brilliant. Um, Peter Varney, Steve Sutherland. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Cheers, well. Cheers chaps. This is Steve Brown. You're listening to Mod Pod, the podcast that won't let you down. Okay, well, as always, we're recording this pod at the brilliant Charlton Athletic Museum, and Dave has got Clive Harris, who's one of the volunteers here at the museum, to talk us through some uh, memorabilia from the Sellers days. Yeah, some interesting stuff. Cheers, Gav. Um, there's you've got cuttings there. Pauper at the Palace, what's that? Well, we've got a lot of cuttings actually, Dave. In fact, we've got a whole cupboard full of scrapbooks, support scrapbooks that have been donated to us. And they're really important documents. This one, I'm quite interested in because it's the period we were at Sellers Park, which is does tend to be glossed over, wrongly, because it's an important part of our history. Um, but it does talk about some of the conditions that you know we were under while we were at Crystal Palace. And this particular 
uh, article refers to Lenny Lawrence not being happy uh, that um, they were being made to feel at home by, the, by their uh, landlords. He was furious the floodlights were not switched on for the start of a four-members cut clash with Chelsea. Now, it's quite ironic in that we've come into the museum tonight and the lights weren't on, so we made a way up here in the dark, <laughs> right? But, um, yeah. so, uh, whether it was deliberate they turned the lights off for us, it was probably they didn't even realise we were playing. Would, I think there's yeah. more likely to be that, yeah. to be honest, yeah. Clive. Full Members' Cup, you, you, you're talking about, we've got, um, you've got the programme there from the Full Members' Cup and you've got a rosette from Wembley. Now, many Charlton fans may, the younger ones probably wouldn't realise, the Full Members' Cup was kind of like the Johnson's paint trophy but involved the top two tiers mm. and Charlton got to, through to the final against Blackburn Rovers that was a memorable uh, run though wasn't it I mean it was, a great, yeah, it was a great run the semi-final yeah. Yeah. Norwich games it was, you know um, and uh, I think whilst a lot of people look back on it because since then we've had Clive Mendonca's hat trick yeah. we've had Barrow in the last minute but before those if you take those away out of our history at that point in time you know, you speak to your dad and your granddad to talk about Wembley in '47, and suddenly we're back at Wembley again. Forty years later. Yeah. Forty years later. Yeah, yeah. In fact, we're as far away from it now as we. <laughs> but um, but you know, it was an important. It was an important time. Um, it's right that Charlton didn't turn up in the numbers that we anticipated or perhaps could have expected. I think there was like twenty thousand Charlton supporters were there. Yeah, day. Blackburn had more fans. It yeah. was a bigger yeah. thing for them that yeah. time, wasn't it? I mean, they brought a lot down for it. Yeah. And everyone has miserable memories of the day. Yeah. Um, go, go on, Clive. What's your memory? No, I, I, I actually loved the day because um, I, I went AWOL from the army <laughs> and uh, to come back and I managed to get there. Went to the game, lost one nil, um, and uh, missed the ferry uh, to get me back on time for Monday morning parade. Uh, so I was only a half an hour late. Uh, it was enough that when I arrived in the gate, it just said, you know, Signal and Harris, see the Sark Major, reference jail. So it was to the point. <laughs> um, so a quick interview with him, and he, and he was he was worried about whether my, uh, you know, my mum had died. And I said, no, no, she's quite well. And my girlfriend split up with me, no. What was that about then? And I said, well, Charlton got to Wembley. And uh, after about an hour of grilling, he just said, get out. You, know, you need help. <laughs> you, know, you need to go to jail. So my own memory of that day is that uh, Charlton were at Wembley, and I could mm. now, when I was sat with my granddad, I'd seen my club at Wembley as well. And so it, we shouldn't take mm, away from it. No, no, no. no, no, no. no. The, team, the, team, the well. team didn't turn up in the way that we hoped. No, but I mean, um, and Hendry scored, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Quite late on. Like, it? it was very late. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The thing that we do have, I have to say, in the museum here, is uh, we have a shirt from the game. Right. And uh, it's uh, it's still got the blood stains on it, so you know some players did give the rule. Mm. Yeah, you know. So you also brought in um, something that Steve was saying about the time at Celest. It's, it's the, the the ledger of uh, season ticket holders. It's it's fascinating to see this again, to be honest, because I used to I used to see um, Ian Dargie. His name was. Now, if you look Ian Dargie up, if you Google him. He played hundreds of games for Brentford as centre-half. And I think Arnie Warren, the general manager at the time, knew, knew um, Ian. And uh, he was working in our office. He was working with Anne Payne, who became Anne Bradshaw, who's sadly no longer with us, and was the secretary. And Ian was sort of her support, if you like. And I recognised Ian's meticulous handwriting with this ledger. Um, he was a smashing guy, and you'd, he was a gentle giant. You would never have known he'd played hundreds of games as a centre-half. How captain. much did Steve Sutherland earn? 
<laughs> no, no. No, is it not no, in there? Oh, no, no. That no. section. Yeah, that's the cash book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. there's, some, there's some names on that list, though, that there's are very some, familiar. Yeah. That's still yeah, Charlton Benz. Yeah, there are, yeah. yeah, there are, yeah. yeah um, pick them off. And, uh, yeah, but it's fascinating to see that again, because I, I just visual, visualise Ian sitting at his desk writing these out meticulously. And that's the last moment before we start digitalising everything. Exactly. One yeah, of the no, exactly. biggest challenges for us for a museum yeah. is how we're going to record electronic information now. Yes. You yeah. know, emails and things like that that have got the stories that some of these old ledger books we have. But I know that you feel passionate about this, Steve, as I do, is that we are celebrating Back to the Valley 30 years. And we know a lot of supporters went out of their way to make sure that happened. Yes. In extreme circumstances. Yes. But the other side to that is that everyone that persisted in going to Sellers Park in the rain on that awful journey across town equally saved this club. Clive, you're, you're absolutely right. And I, I've banged on about this for ages and um, I'm, I'm intensely loyal to the fans. I was a fan uh, like everyone else. I, mean, I used to go with my dad. Mm. And when, when we were all given that piece of paper in our hand and we were all, we were all numb, dumbstruck, weren't we? What, what, is, what the hell is this? Yeah. Um, I remember my dad and I, we had a sort of summit meeting in the Royal Albert on Plumstead Common. And uh, we, we agreed. I said, look, I'll drive. But it's important to you and me that we go to football together. Mm. And I'll, I'll drive. We'll carry on. We'll go and support them. Let's hope that they can come back in some way. Mm. And uh, so we made the decision to go. And the people who... And I respect everyone who said, I'm not going to watch Charlton play itself. I respect that. But the people who did played a huge role and I know the Valley Party did and I know what happened since but those people who came and bought season tickets at Sellers Park they're real heroes to me they're real heroes there was an interesting uh, tweet that came out from the museum today this Tuesday today um, that was the letter that was from Ron Nodes to John Sunley yeah about renaming Sellers yes. Park yeah to Sellhurst Valley. So it was that close that Palace and Charlton nearly merged. Yes, yeah. I think, and I think we got the, um, this Friday, we've got dating when you're going to put this out, but this Friday is the first of the Q&As of the 30th anniversary under the cast are organising it, aren't they? Yeah. And it's um, Roger Orwin's on the panel. And Roger will tell you that at that time, half the board wanted to build homes on the valley. Mm. And... That letter, that was the first time I'd seen it, that letter today sort of sums that up, really. Yeah. They were looking to make this very permanent. How did everyone pull that round? You're hearing Rod Nose talking about potential mergers, talk about people wanting to maybe build flats of valley here where we are now. It, like, it sounded, it seemed very bleak. And obviously, if you fast forward, you've got the valley party and, and stuff like that. Was it, was it then the kind of the tides started turning or when did we kind of like, when, when uh, did hope arrive? Several people, but I'm going to say Roger Alwyn was a big, big factor in that. And he certainly was with me. Um, I got a phone call one day. I was Midland Bank, and I'd just been promoted. I got a phone call, and this is late this 87. And I'd just come in from working at Woking area, I think, from the Midland Bank. And the phone was ringing. I, I got to it in time, as I got to, And uh, it was Anne Payne. And I said, hello, Anne, what can I do for you? She said, we need a commercial manager, and I've told Roger Alwyn it should be you. That was that basically was the conversation, and um, cut a long story story short, I met Arnie Warren that Saturday at the training ground. Um, my interview was watching the youth team play, and then I met Roger Alwyn in the week at his place in Gracechurch Street, and he sold me the vision that, that what he wanted he wanted to get back to the valley, 
and for a Charlton fan, lifelong, mm-hmm. having said that to my dad, let's carry on supporting them because hopefully we'll get back. Suddenly, Roger Orwin is saying to me, come, 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 on, come on board. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the vision. We want to get back. And that sold it to me, really, although I did, did turn it down because I'd just been promoted in the Midland Bank. <laughs> and the headlines in the sun were Charlton going bust mm. at that time. Yeah. And my, right, my wife, I had to really I remember the conversation with my wife. We had a cheap mortgage, mm. you know, but Roger passionately sold it to me. And when I said, Roger, I've, I've got a big problem here. I've just been promoted. I'd love to join you. My, this heart is saying, come and join you. And he wrote me a letter, which I, I might give to the museum, but I wrote, he wrote a letter which said, if, if the club ceases to play, ceases to exist or goes bust within 12 months of you joining, I will personally pay your salary for the next 12 months. Mm. And Mike Norris joins me in this commitment. And I showed that to my wife and well, just had to join. So, yeah. so Roger Orwin, for me, was a massive part of why why I joined and why I started and then he needed help along the way to get us back but for me it was always Roger Roy. And then what are we talking three years down the line it's the moment at Woolwich Town Hall and it's confirmed. With yeah not, when was that 1990 yeah, wasn't it? The, two yeah. years later. Town, town Hall and um, what was that I like? actually put something out today that I wrote on what the perception of the Valley Party was like when you were working for the club at the time and I put... And what was it like? put um, originally, when we when we heard it, we dismissed it. If I'm being honest, just said, "Well, that's really not. Is that going to help? Yeah, you know, is that, no, no, no. <laughs> is this going to help? You know, really? Because um, relationships with the council were getting quite strained. So, um, but then we realised how professional it was um, with the advertising campaign and putting up candidates, and, and so we supported it. We supported it, but we didn't interfere. You know that was the supporters. Mm. And how important it's not to yeah. interfere. And it was such a purely fan-led. Just let kind them get on with it. <coughs> yeah, yeah. There was quite a few people in Woolwich Town Hall that weren't living in Woolwich that day. Yeah, yeah. Because I've got my ticket, and I'm, you know, I was living in Wellington City. Yeah. yeah. So, but I remember the the um, famous town hall meeting, and uh, still my proudest moment because I'm sitting next to Lady Lawrence on the stage when he's telling the fans we're going back to the valley mm. and then uh, that that sort of that sort of joy had cold water thrown all over it when the planning permission was it took longest it took longer Steve than I think any of us at the time yeah yeah. If we'd have been told how long it was or yes. how many of us would have said oh yeah. give up you know well and and then and then uh, so three years on, so 91, mm. and coming back to the valley still looked like a bit of a dream, and ch- barrier after barrier was being put in the way of the club. And then uh, Trevor Phillips, who was commercial director of the Football League at the time, this pre-Premier League, um, said, come and join us, we need a commercial guy who works with all the clubs, who understands the clubs. And I just had to take a career decision, mm. stay at Charlton, we may get back, so I'd, I'd left to go to the Football League, but I was effectively the football, uh, Charlton's man at the Football League at that time. And you're a supporter, so you still exactly. got that joy of exactly. that running exactly. right now. And, and on, on the day when we came back, fast forwarding, the day before we came back to the Valley, I, um, I was effectively seconded by the league, mm. unofficially, 
to go and help out on the day before. So yeah. I remember me, Roger Orwin and Martin Simons were sticking seat numbers on the south stand mm. on the day before. Oh, I cried my eyes out all day that day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what else we got planned? I know we've got the, the <clears throat> cast event on Friday evening, but what else is planned for the Back to the Valley? Yeah, and you know, I must give a lot of credit to uh, Richard Wiseman and his colleagues who, who've organised that. I mean, under the, with the association of the 30th Anniversary Committee, which I'm chairing, um, but so it'll be a good event. You've got Roger Orwin, you've got Martin Simons, you've got Rick Everett, Peter Caldwell, who was the, the editor of the Mercury at the time, wasn't he? And then you've got Bob Boulder and Simon Webster. So it's a nice, nice mm. group. Um, the next one after that will be on the 17th of November, and that's going to be uh, a homage to Valley Gold, effectively. Right. Um, you might remember Valley Gold, when, it, when I originally set it up, was to help raise funds to put into developing the valley. Yeah. And the first tranche of money from Valley Gold went to renovate the old house mm. that became the club shop and the offices. Yeah. And Chris Parks and me were the first two back at the valley. So also we had the Valley Investment Plan as well, didn't we? Remember that? That came a little bit later, yeah. 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 That came a little bit later. And then it sort of drifted, didn't it, Valley Gold? A little yeah. Bit. Um, yeah, I was at the Football League and then I got a call, I think it was from Steve Dixon, saying we, we're, we're, we're changing the focus of Valley Gold to switch it into supporting the youth team mm. and youth players. I think it was, must have been about 94, I think. And um, I did a voiceover for a video for it to launch it. So, yeah. So it was originally for getting yeah. back here, and then it changed its focus. So that's 17th of November. Where's that being held, Steve? They'll be uh, either in the, in the 1905, in Millennium, we'd know it as, <laughs> or, uh, or the fans bar, I think. Yeah, mm. okay. To be decided. But So we've definitely got Chris Parks, who yeah. signed everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Literally signed all those young players. Uh, Steve Avery, yeah, uh, Matt Baker, I think I'm chairing it, and Keith Peacock uh, is working to get a couple of the younger play the young players who've come through, and perhaps are not so young now, but yeah. who've come through with the help of Valley Gold. Yeah, fantastic stuff. And then, and then a dinner. When's the dinner? The dinner. The dinner <clears throat> will be the first of December. Yeah. Um, at, and I say we're still working on that. So, but that's the date. And obviously the day which we're playing Cheltenham, aren't we? Yeah. It's a shame it wasn't Portsmouth, but yeah. Um, yeah. But there you go. There you are. Okay. More more info on. Yeah, uh, it'll it'll be coming out, yeah. dripping out as. Okay. As... Clive, um, so many other bits and pieces. Just going back to the museum stuff. You've got the um, uh, the fixture list here from eighty eight, eighty nine. Cheltenham Athletic Club call. I can tell you the number without looking yeah, at it. Oh eight nine eight one two one one four six. You know. Can I give you a quick story on oh eight nine eight one two? Go on. Can I give it? <laughs> Peter Burrow Scoop. Mm. He used to Pardon? he used to do the content for me on on, on uh, Club Call. Yeah. And every morning I'd come into my office and I first thing I do is phone Club Call and see what Pete's put on it. And in the close season, there's not a lot of access to players in the close season, is there? So. Um, I phoned this number and suddenly it's Peter interviewing Audrey Hannant about what washing powder she uses <laughs> to wash the kit at the training ground. I mean, Peter, Peter, you can't charge people to listen to listen to Audrey Hannant. 
Lesser. Old. Old. So. Oh, you get there. You get there yeah, eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. These are the jokes, guys. Keep yeah. up. So yeah, bless him. But oh eight nine eight. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that was a, that was interesting. So that was there's some there's some yeah, great stuff. So. Clive, what um, well, that, museums museums that wasn't open? A great season. No, it wasn't. I mean, was it? Looking at, I remember these games. Three 0 defeat Liverpool. Ronnie's Rosenthal oh, at trick, wasn't it? I think. Yeah. And then Millwall, 3-0, turned us over there, didn't they? That was their one and only season in the top league, was it? I think it was, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. because they'd never won the cup or anything. Oh, you went up with them, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we didn't go down with them, didn't we? That's it. So we don't actually... And then I I can remember three home games running where we drew two all, and I think we were kind of winning in all those three games. Yeah. And, and, you know... Probably, yeah. yeah. uh, We had a good side, Clive. We did, yeah. Yeah, good players. Jim Melrose would have been. Jim Melrose, yeah. Andy Peake, yeah. Steve McKenzie. Reed and Humphrey were there. Yeah, yeah. Reed and Humphrey, I think, have been probably, I know you can make a case for Young and Chris Powell, clearly, mm. but Reed and Humphrey were yeah, no, absolutely were good. I remember, I remember there was a story, you mentioned, there's a lot of parallels between, but there was a story that Queen's Park Rangers wanted to buy John Humphrey. Mm. And... Um, I'd been to some function or something, and I was in a pub with some mates. And, and you know, you can see, you, you know, if someone's coming directly towards you, you, you know, I could see out my eye this guy was coming straight towards me. And he came up to me, he sort of prodded me. He said, Are you, Is that right? You're selling John Humphrey? And I went, Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, so <laughs> he, was, he was so popular. In the end, we, we sold it, we gave him the palace, yeah. which paid the rent. I can't yeah, that, that was so almost paid the rent. there, right? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, Palestines would have yeah. coped quite well with them. Though. Funny enough, that's the change identity every year anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Sub story to that is when I was at the Football League, they won the Championship Palace, didn't they? And um, I was accompanying Gordon McKee, the club president, to hand them over the trophy. So I handed John Humphrey his medal mm. oh. as a Crystal Palace player. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, Clive. Um, people can come and see this stuff for match taste, can't they? Yeah, they can, oh, and it's fan led, fan owned. <clears throat> And, and you're all fans, so you know. Even if you can't make a match day, send us an email, and one of us will open it up for you. That's what we try and do. Um, but yeah, Fridays, every Friday it's open between like eleven and two, I think it is, uh, and then uh, match days, and we have to shout at half one because that's when they open the turnstiles. But on a match day morning, if you're early enough, come in, and it's your it's your history, mm. and it's here for you to come and look at and share. And we've got a research room next door. Really important now, Dave. All of our written matter. You can sit in that room next door and you've got the internet and literally everything from the first board minutes that we've owned as a club up to, you know, stuff that is going to be locked for a long time in the future because we can't actually access it yet. But history doesn't end mm-hmm. with coming back to the valley. It continues, it continues, and continues. And we're going to need more space because we're going to have more history to tell. So, you know... It's you know, you know what I, I, I thought the other day? Colin Cameron would have loved it here, wouldn't he? No, he would do. He's kind of here because we've got his actual filing cabinet full of oh, oh, next door. So, yeah. you know, Colin is here. Yeah. The spirit of Colin's here. I remember Colin, Colin, I had a radio show at the time, didn't I? Charlton Chat. And yeah. I remember Colin came down. And before we went live like this on air, he, he sort of leant into me and he went, I'm not a memory man, you know. It's funny you should say don't that. When, when we used to sit over Sellers Park, uh, me and my uncle Ken, we used to sit behind Colin. And him and his mate, him, him and... Alan Honey. Alan, yeah. Yeah, but it, my, my Uncle Ken's mate and him, him and his mate Keith 
used to just be bombarding Colin with questions. Who scored that? When did we last score? Who, who did we win? Who did we play last week? Yeah. Mm. And uh, well, yeah, we had, we had it was like a Wikipedia. Keith organised a, a quiz for the. Demelzer, I think, a few years ago, and you hosted yeah. it. No, 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 no. I didn't host it. Uh, were... Keith hosted it. I sat behind Derek Owls. Right, that's it. Giving him the answers. Yeah, uh, did you? Yeah. Right. I mean, it didn't help, did it? No. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but um, I've lost my chain of heart. I don't know why I was going right. there. Colin, you did Co- the quiz. Oh, Colin, yeah. yeah. Colin was in our team, Pete, because you were in our Eggheaders team. That's right, yeah. Keith called it Eggheaders. It was you, me, Rick Everett. We had Colin Cameron. Now, I thought, right, we've got... We got, <laughs> we got the historian. He didn't know anything, no, did he? he? No, no. He wrote it all down. <laughs> yeah. Well, we won it on the last question. The oh, last yeah. question was, which Charlton manager was sacked on April Fool's Day? Yeah. yeah. Which I'd remembered was yeah. Theo, and Theo was on the other team. He and he, didn't, he didn't get it. <laughs> he didn't get it, so he was passed over to us, and we said, well, it's him. <laughs> yeah, they were great. Keith just organised it. He looked very shocked that night, didn't he? Ch- uh, chaps, thanks very much for that. Uh, Clive, hopefully people will come down and see our history because it really is worth it coming down here. Here, here. Thanks for listening. Uh, look out for a bonus podcast where we'll be hearing more from Peter Varney and Steve Sutherland. <laughs>